0: Uh, Welcome to week nine of our uh, live stream worship service. I want to echo what Steve said at the start of the service. Happy Mother's Day uh, to all you mothers out there. Um, I know that today is the kind of day where this whole social distancing thing might hurt a little bit more uh, than the usual. And uh, if you cannot see your mother in person today. I really encourage you, like Steve said, uh, give her a call. Uh, let her know that she's loved and appreciated. Um, it's a it's a it's a hard day to uh, feel the need to be socially distant. So definitely keep that in mind. And um, there's a lot going on right now. I also want to congratulate the UConn students, UConn seniors. Uh, who uh, graduated uh, I believe it was yesterday yesterday was the uh virtual commencement I mean it is actually commencement everyone graduated but of course there wasn't the standard uh graduation ceremony and I just want to extend um my condolences to the UConn seniors on having your year have to end in such a abnormal way um but I also want to congratulate you you did it and uh we missed you guys we missed seeing you we wish we uh could have celebrated with you. Maybe we can do something next week. We'll we have some ideas, So, um, but congratulations to you guys. So I want to start the sermon this morning with some transparency. Uh, I had a really hard time this week preparing for the message. I uh, originally thought, let's just keep going in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for three weeks now. And uh, so let's just keep going. So I started to prepare a message on the next uh, section. And um, I kept sensing the Holy Spirit saying, now is not the time for this. And uh, I didn't wanna hear that because I like the passage that we were about to uh, look at. Um, I've actually preached on it before. So I had a good sense of, of what I wanted to say. But the more I prepared for that particular passage, I just thought this passage is answering a question that most of us aren't thinking about at the moment. It's an important question. It's the question of what is Jesus's relationship to the Old Testament law. Um, But I just think that right now, a lot of us have a lot of uh, thoughts, a lot of things on our mind. And that particular question is probably not a very common one right now. And uh, last week, we talked about being salt and light in the world, right? That's part of our calling as the church. And I think sometimes if we're going to be salt and light, we have to speak very directly uh, to the situations that people are experiencing, to the thoughts uh, that they have. And uh, so I kind of decided last minute to shelve the sermon that I was preparing and, uh, speak directly uh, to what I think a lot of us are already thinking about. And I apologize in advance that this is not going to be a traditional sermon. Uh, I'm going to bring up some scripture, but we're not going to really dissect a passage the way that we normally do. Uh, So things are going to be a little non-traditional, but I I think that this is uh, important stuff that we need to, to talk about. So there are two broad categories Uh, of of topic that I see people uh, struggling with, especially this week uh, in our society. And uh, those two topics are racism and uh, the whole coronavirus uh, pandemic, dealing with that, responding to that. And so I wanna spend a little bit of time talking about both of those things. Uh, But before I do that, let's all just spend a moment in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning. Uh, we thank you for the ability to meet and worship uh, online like this. And uh, God, we open ourselves up to be able to receive from your Holy Spirit whatever it is that you want to tell us, Lord. We pray that you would be pleased with the attitude of our hearts uh, during this service. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh you would guide my words, that you would help me to speak uh through the direction of your Holy Spirit, Lord, and I pray that if I say anything that is not of you, that it would just fall on deaf ears um, uh, and that it would not be remembered. Uh, but Lord, I, I just ask for uh, for your wisdom now, your guidance, and uh, I just pray uh, that we would um, be encouraged and edified by this time right now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, two broad categories, racism and coronavirus pandemic and everything related to that. So let's start with that first one, racism. Why racism right now? Well, if uh, you are on social media at all, if you follow the news, it's pretty much a guarantee uh, that you have heard about Amand Arbery. Hopefully I'm saying his name correctly, Arbury. Arbery. Uh, Arbery was a 25-year-old, almost 26-year-old uh, African-American man. He was unarmed, and uh, he was reportedly jogging uh, in Georgia, and uh, he was confronted by uh, two white men—a uh, father and his adult son. Uh, the adult son had a shotgun in hand, and a uh, a confrontation ensued, and uh, Arbery ended up ended up shot and killed, and. Um, What's especially odd about this situation is is uh, that the the two men uh, were not arrested until this last week, even though this incident uh, took place two and a half months ago. What happened was a video of the incident got out into the public and uh, obviously was very disturbing uh, for many people. And uh, it was only after that uh, that these two men ended up being arrested. Now, generally speaking, when people on the internet are outraged about something, uh, it is important not to rush to judgment. It is important to have humility and recognize, you know, we don't know everything that's, that's going on. Um, but there are several things that are very clear about what happened here. What happened here was that an unarmed Black man uh, ended up dying. He was killed. And uh, the men who were responsible for the death uh, were not held accountable for that, even though there was plenty of evidence uh, that something terrible had happened. And that should concern us very much. Uh, that should make us grieve. That should make us sit up and take notice. Now, whenever an incident like this occurs, you know people start debating the specifics of it um, and I'm sure that will happen uh, with this incident as well. But what I want us as the church to pay attention to, and what I especially want us, those of us who are who are white, uh, to pay attention to, is the expression of collective pain and anger from Black Americans. Whenever an incident like this occurs, if you are paying attention, you will notice that there is a collective expression of pain and anger uh, from Black Americans. And it is so important for Christ's Church to pay attention to that, to to hear that expression, and to listen to it. For example, uh, I saw a uh, post on Facebook uh, from a friend of a friend. This is not a man that I know personally, but uh, a friend of a friend. His his name is uh, Stephen J. Love. He is a black man, and he is a pastor in Indiana. And after he heard about what happened to Arbery, he wrote this. As a young seminary student in Oviedo, Florida, I decided one morning to go for a run, decked out in full running gear, Nike shoes, shorts, dry fit shirt, and headphones. About 10 minutes into my run, I noticed a blue truck following me. I slowed down to look back at the truck. The truck pulled up beside me, rolled down the window and yelled, what are you doing here? At this moment, a thousand thoughts flowed through my head because I knew this wasn't an inquisitive question. It was a question of, what are you doing here? They didn't see a seminary student. They didn't see a pastor. They didn't see a man who just returned from studying history at the University of Oxford. They didn't see a son raised by parents who had been faithfully married since they were 17. They saw a black man, a black man they felt they needed to control. So I did what many black men have had to do. I had to disarm my black skin. I took the bass out of my voice. I didn't use too many hand movements. I became exaggeratedly friendly and said, I'm just going for a run trying to burn off some calories while smiling painfully. They didn't respond. They just glared, revved the engine and sped off. Immediately I felt fear. My life was at risk. Shame. I temporarily hated my own black skin. Guilt. I had to exaggerate my personality to stay safe. Regret. Why did I need to take that run in the first place? Anger, why did they have the freedom to do that? And about 10 other emotions simultaneously. So when I say Ahmaud Arbery could have been me, this isn't some pithy, meaningless call to action. It is real, it is recent, it is relevant, it is racism, it is repetitive. What if, what if I had responded differently? What if I didn't respond at all? What if I made some angry comment? What if I would have felt threatened? What if I would have reached for my phone to call for help? What if I fit the description? It's so, so important for those of us in the church and especially those of us who are white to listen to these kinds of stories to recognize the collective pain and anger that surfaces when a public event like this happens. There are so many uh, Black men and women who have stories uh, like the one that I just read. Here's another example. Uh, shortly after the news about Arbury broke, uh, a acquaintance of mine from seminary, who is uh, also Black, uh, shared an article on Facebook from NPR, and uh, the article was titled, Sociologist Speaks on How Black Men Try to Appear Non-Threatening as a Defense Mechanism. So I'll read that again. Sociologist Speaks on How Black Men Try to Appear Non-Threatening as a Defense Mechanism. And the one comment that my friend who shared the post uh, said was, every single day every single day. In other words, every single day I am thinking in the back of my mind, I have to be extra careful that the way I conduct myself is as non-threatening as possible. I have to go above and beyond to make sure that nobody is threatened by me in order to help protect myself. And uh, I I looked at the study that he shared and it described how uh, many Black men uh, who live in predominantly white neighborhoods describe themselves as doing these self-protective things like you know only jogging in well-lit densely populated areas uh purposely wearing shirts that say you know the uh the college that they are an alumnus of um in order so that when people look at them they'll think oh this is a this is an educated man um one one (laughs) One man described uh, whistling classical music when he was walking alone because he thought that's like the most non-threatening thing uh, I can think of to do. So we need to recognize this is the experience of many black men in America. And this is why it strikes a nerve when something like what happened to Ahmaud Arbery happens. Uh, it's, this is not only a tragic event, because of what happened to Arbery. I mean, that is bad enough. It is a tragedy. But it's also tragic because it brings to the surface all these painful experiences uh, from other people and the pain and anger that comes uh, with those experiences. So I just want to exhort us this morning, especially those of us who are white, listen to that pain and anger. Don't judge it. Don't dismiss it. Pay attention to it. Learn from it. Now, I know I have not asked us yet to open our Bibles to a particular location, but if you want a Bible verse, here's a Bible verse. It's one of the ones that uh, we most quote that Jesus said, and it's something that everything hinges on, right? Jesus said that the two greatest commands are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself love your neighbor as yourself. What I am talking about here is a practical application of the second greatest commandment. What I was saying is we love our neighbors when we listen to them, right? When we mourn with those who mourn. Uh, we don't love our neighbors well when they express their experiences that have led to pain and anger, and then we just dismiss them uh, or, or judge them as, um, uh, I don't know, just uh getting carried away with their emotions or something like that. We, we love our neighbor as ourselves when we pay attention, when we listen, uh, when, we, when we hear them out, and when we uh, express in solidarity with them frustration over injustice. When we work to right injustice, uh, that is when we love our neighbors. Um, and so I just felt this burden this morning to encourage us Don't ignore um, what's happening here, Uh, pay close attention, listen and love your neighbor, okay? So that is the first thing that I see us dealing with as a society right now. The second thing of course is what we've been dealing with for quite a while now, which is the pandemic. And uh, we're at week nine now. So we have been in this for a while, and I think that a lot of us are struggling. Some of us are reaching uh, a breaking point. And I think that at the root of our struggle is the experience of uncertainty and ambiguity. There is a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity in our lives right now you know, we are wondering things like, how long will it be before things are open again in Connecticut? We don't know, right? Uh, When will public schools be open again? Will they be open in the fall? Again, right now, uh, we don't know. When will we be able to plan our vacations again and, and our trips and our family reunions and that sort of thing? Again, we don't know. When will life feel normal again? We don't know. Now, ordinarily, we are able to plan for the future with a reasonable amount of certainty that what we plan is going to come to pass. And that gives us a sense of control over our lives, right? And right now, we just don't have that, right? Uncertainty is in the air all the time. And when that uncertainty is there uh, for multiple weeks, uh, over and over, uh, it starts to wear on us, right? And, and it's, it's it's hard, it's hard to deal with. Uh, and then of course, uh, there is the uncertainty uh, that comes with the threat of illness, right? We're, we're dealing with the uncertainty of not knowing, uh, am I going to get this illness? Are my loved ones going to get this illness? That contributes to a lot of uh, feelings of uncertainty. And then uh, some of us are struggling with uncertainty and ambiguity, even in regards to to the details of the pandemic itself. Right, Many of us are hearing conflicting information from different sources. Um, The virus is getting weaker. The virus is getting stronger. Uh, Wearing a mask helps. Wearing a mask doesn't really help. The virus is incredibly dangerous. The virus isn't really that dangerous right? We're hearing all this conflicting information. And just so you know, just to be clear, I'm not trying to say that all information is equal, not by any stretch of the imagination. But what I'm saying is there is a sea of information out there. A lot of it conflicts and that can just add to the feelings of uncertainty and ambiguity that we are already experiencing. And if I know human nature at all, one thing that I am confident of is that we do not like living with uncertainty and ambiguity. Uh, there's something about it that just really makes us uncomfortable. Uh, we like to feel like we have a sense of control. We like to feel like we know what is coming in the future. Uh, we like to feel like we understand the world and like we have a clear sense of who the good guys are and who the bad guys are and why everything happens the way that it does. And In the midst of all this uncertainty and ambiguity and our frustration with it, I think we need to remind ourselves of a critical concept throughout Scripture, and it's represented by one word, faith. Faith. Over and over again, Scripture talks about the importance of having faith. In fact, Hebrews 11.6 Uh, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now that should lead us to ask, if faith is so important, what exactly is faith? Well, the essence of faith is trust. And when the Bible uses that word faith, it's like a shorthand way of saying trust in God. And I want to be clear about that because sometimes we think of faith as just this Um, this capacity to believe anyone or anything uh, reflexively. Okay, there is no virtue in just believing anyone in anything. You know, if a stranger approaches you on the street and says, hey, take this pill, I think all of us would agree it would not be virtuous just to trust them and take that pill right? Nothing virtuous about that. When the Bible talks about faith and the value of faith, that is not what it's talking about. Specifically, it is talking about faith and trust in God and in the promises of God, right? And without that trust, it is impossible to please God. Without trusting in God, it is impossible to please God. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe that he is good. He wants us to believe that he has our best interests at heart. Uh, He wants us to trust uh, that he will never leave or forsake us. He wants us to trust that through Jesus, our sins are forgiven and we have assurance of eternal life. He wants us to trust that doing the right thing is really worth it, even if it comes at a cost. He wants us to trust that the Beatitudes really are true. That sort of thing that's what it means to have faith and so as we face all of this uncertainty and ambiguity we need to remember without trust in god it is impossible to please god and you know even though all this uncertainty and ambiguity is a pain what it does is it provides us with an opportunity to really trust god to really exercise faith Second Corinthians 5-7 says, we live by faith, not by sight. Some translations say we walk by faith, not by sight, which I like that translation uh, even more. Now, to walk by sight is to try to live without uncertainty and ambiguity. Uh, when we walk by sight, we look ahead into the future and we think, I see exactly, I know exactly what's coming, right? But when we walk by faith, we look into the future and there's a lot of uncertainty about what's in the future, but yet we walk forward, trusting in God. That's the difference between walking by faith and trying to walk by sight. You know, a lot of people have this idea that walking by faith is just being certain about Everything all the time. You know, if I were to say, I am certain that none of us are going to get sick and I am certain that this virus will disappear uh, within a couple of weeks and life will go back to normal. I'm certain of that. Some people would just think, well, he's crazy, right? But some people would think, ah, there's a man of great faith, right? But would I really be displaying great faith I would de- be displaying faith in the future and my idea of what's going to happen in the future, but would I really be expressing faith in God, trust in God? I don't think so. See, I would be trying to, I would be trying to walk by sight, rather than walking by faith. Real faith doesn't say, "I know for sure what's going to happen next month." Real faith says. I don't know for sure what's gonna happen next month. There's tons of uncertainty and ambiguity in my life, but in the midst of that uncertainty and ambiguity, I trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God. I trust in the promises of God. That's what it means to walk by faith. Now, I wanna comment on something that's related to all of this. This was the week when I really saw uh, coronavirus conspiracy theories explode on the internet. I mean, they have been there um, since this all started, but they really uh, came to the forefront this week in a dramatic way. And I wanna caution us as the church to be very, very hesitant about believing and promoting conspiracy theories. Um, I say that for several reasons. And uh, this subject on its own is worthy of like a day-long seminar and analysis. And so obviously, we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail here. But for several reasons, I really believe that we in the church should be especially cautious about these kinds of conspiracy theories, and we should be some of the people who are the slowest to promote and share these kinds of theories. And so several reasons why. First, when conspiracy theories are false, and they often are, they slander people. One of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not give false testimony against your neighbor. And conspiracy theories regularly attribute diabolical wickedness to certain people. Um you watch certain documentaries and they will propagate conspiracy theories that attribute diabolical wickedness to certain individuals and those individuals never have a chance in those documentaries to respond right and if those accusations are false that is slander and that is breaking one of the ten commandments um and so we have to be very careful before we share or promote a theory that accuses someone of diabolical wickedness, we have to ask ourselves, am I really so confident about this that I am willing to risk extraordinary slander of what could be an innocent person? That is something that we really need to to ask ourselves. That's very, very important. Something else we need to remember is that history shows us that whenever there are tragic or uh, confusing circumstances, conspiracy theories always arise. Always. Uh, In the Black Plague of the 14th century, the conspiracy theory was this is all because the Jews poisoned the wells. Terrible, terrible propaganda. Um, But some people believed it. And today, I think we have our own versions of the Jews poisoned the wells. And we just have to be very, very careful uh, that we are not buying into uh, falsehood, especially falsehood that slanders uh, our neighbors. Human nature does not change. Uh, The same kind of human nature that propelled people to attribute the Black Plague uh, to the Jews poisoning the wells rests in us today, and we have to be on guard against it. The other thing we have to remember is that conspiracy theories are attractive. There's something about them that is alluring. Um, And that's why we have to be extra careful about them because we can end up embracing them simply because they're interesting, simply because they are alluring. And I think a big part of why they're so alluring is because they help to relieve us of that uncertainty and ambiguity that we're struggling with in a time like this. Uh, A conspiracy theory helps to make sense of what we're going through, right? It it identifies clear bad guys and clear good guys, and it helps us to feel like we we have an explanation, right? It also gives us a little bit of a high because it makes us feel like we have insight into some kind of secret knowledge uh, that not everybody knows about. And, and that, that can give us, that gives us a, a, a rush of endorphins that makes us feel excited. It makes us feel special. So, but we have to be very, very careful not to allow our desire uh, to get rid of uncertainty and ambiguity in our lives, uh, lead us to buy into falsehoods. We have to be very, very careful about that. So in other words, to bring it full circle, because we like to walk by sight, not by faith conspiracy theories are attractive to us because we like to walk by sight not by faith conspiracy theories are attractive to us because conspiracy conspiracy theories say this is why everything is happening here's an explanation for all of it i can make sense of it for you listen to me okay we have got to be careful We especially have to be careful as Christians because everything that we promote and share and say affects our witness for Christ. Uh, A man named Austin Jones uh, tweeted this the week after Easter. He said, last week, my Facebook feed was full of crazy COVID conspiracy theories followed by posts about evidence for the resurrection. I don't think they realize the message that they're actually sending. Think about that. People will be more likely to take us seriously when we talk about the, the resurrection, when we talk about our faith, when they can see that we are discerning and not gullible in other areas. And when we're quick to share the craziest conspiracy theories, when we're the first ones in line to promote that stuff, most people are going to be less likely to hear us out when we say that a man rose from the dead because our credibility is already damaged and we don't want to lose that opportunity right so again be careful be wise be discerning be cautious so i know this message was a little bit all over the place i apologize for that i promise that next week uh, we're going to be back to looking more closely at a passage of scripture and dissecting it together. Um, but this week, I really felt the Holy Spirit nudging me to talk about those things. Let's walk by faith, not by sight. Uh, let's remember that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And let's remember that the uncertainty and ambiguity of our lives is an opportunity to walk by faith, to truly trust In God. And in the midst of the uncertainty and ambiguity of our lives, let's remember that our calling is just as clear as it has ever been. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, these are confusing times. These are our uncertain times. And Lord, I pray that you would just help us to walk by faith. Lord, help us to exercise trust in you and in your promises and in your goodness. God, I pray that your grace would break through in surprising ways in our lives right now, that you would reveal yourself to us as we trust in you. Lord, help us to be wise, help us to be discerning, help us to mourn with those who mourn and to listen uh, to those who are in pain and struggling. God, help us to be your church, to love you and love our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.